Hey, this is Rachel, and you're listening to the Mosaic Young Adult Podcast. To learn more about Mosaic Young Adults, visit us online at thisismosaic.org slash youngadults. We hope this podcast is simply part of a greater conversation you have with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. The whole armor of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to the end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly, as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. As we were just singing that last song, I just got the impression, (laughs) the thoughts, that that singing songs like that are pretty difficult um, for many, if not all of us. Where we, Maranatha is that song, that, that word where it says, God, come and save us. And we say it and we say these things in the church. And it's like, yeah, God, come and save us. But we, we are not really believing that he will or can. But then it's met with this equal desperation of, but I, I, I need to be helped. I, I need to, to be set free. And that, that was just the, the, the words that kept coming to my mind as we were singing that song, that there are many of us in this room, and I, I don't seek to be generic, to, to play a trick on you. I, I just got the sense that there's many situations here, and for some of us in particular, where you've come in the hopes that you would be set free. Whether it be from depressive, intrusive thoughts, whether it be thoughts of suicide, whether it be uh, this indulgence of pornography, whether it's a circumstance, whether it's a person or a relationship, being set free from, from demonic practices that you have engaged in and yet don't know how to disengage with it. And all I can think of is there's this scene in Matthew 9, I think, it's where this woman who had been bleeding for many years, uh, she comes to Jesus and in her thoughts, she says, if only I could touch him, something would change in me. She had this this unshakable faith and she somehow had this supernatural thought that if she could get close enough and just touch, not even the body of Jesus, but the thing that Jesus was touching, that somehow she would be set free. And so she goes and breaks to the crowds and she touches Jesus and... Jesus says, your faith has made you 
I actually want to get this correct because I, I don't want to butcher this because it, it was powerful as I thought about it. She said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. And I bring that up. <laughs> it's not even part of my message. But I bring that up because some of you just need to be reminded and, I, and I'm going to exhort and ask that you would have the faith that he could set you free tonight from what you're hoping to be set free from. Okay? Now, it's not a faith I can give you. And believe it or not, it's a faith that you can muster up, but it is one that God happily gives on to you. So if you want to be set free tonight, I'm asking you to ask the Father, would you give me the faith to believe and would I be healed? from whatever it is that you've come here with. This is what we call spiritual warfare. It's a, it's a word, it's a phrase, it's an idea that many of us in the church say, yeah, I know. Yeah, there's a, there's a devil. There's, a, there's demons and there's, you know, there's some evil forces around and sure, but if I were to ask you, who is your greatest enemy? What would be your first thought? Probably a person, I would imagine. Could be a parent. Could be the devil, maybe. But, but you're, usually we're thinking about a person because we think that there's, there's somebody on the other end. There's a person you can see and touch and tangible and you can hate. But in the scriptures, spiritual warfare is not where you contend with other humans. It's where you contend with the enemy of God, which is the devil. And it is not something to be, and to honestly, it's not something that I'm super well-versed in, but it has been something that as we were creating this sermon series called The Power in the Presence, which is this, is, is this week's the last week of it, which kind of bums me out because I've been having a lot of fun seeing the Holy Spirit begin to transform and move in this community. But I think tonight is the night where we finally put into practice the things that we've been learning about over the last three months. Because what I hope you don't want you to know is that information does not lead to transformation, but the very touch of God is what leads to transformation. The information helps you come closer to have the faith to believe that he will do what he says, but spiritual warfare is when you actually put that into practice and begin to dispel the works of Satan over your life. Or last few when, when was the hurricane? Like a month and a half ago, right? I don't, it's, it was a while ago. It happened. It's, you're in Florida, so you're like, which one? Right? Uh, Rachel and I, we, we had come back uh, from, from vacation, and we had a connecting flight in New York City, um, but because of the hurricane, our flight got canceled. So we were able to <clears throat> go and stay with my family because I'm from New York City. And so it was great. You don't have to pay for Airbnb or food because we're Latinos, so they provide everything. Uh, and so great for me. And so, and Rachel, and so we are, we are, we're, we decide that we would spend the day cause we had nothing better to do to go and I'd show her where I grew up and, and just my favorite places in, in Manhattan and Brooklyn, just the places that I grew up in and that I really loved and enjoyed. And so Rachel and I go to the, go to, uh, the train station and, you know, just, you know, passing by the grimy, dirty stairs and 
garbage on the floor and questionable liquids around. Like this is New York, it's home for me. You know, it's, it's great, you know? And um, so we, we, you know, we pay for our, our train fare. We go through the, the turnstiles with our hips because you don't want to touch it with your hands. And I make the mistake. Uh, there's these two young guys who jump the, tr- the turnstile which I hadn't seen in a long time because I've been here for six years. So I kind of forgot that's what people do sometimes. And so I made the mistake of making eye contact with one of them for just a millisecond. And I turn away, I'm like, I don't want to do this. Well, with that millisecond gave them the permission to begin uh, choosing some very delightful words to say in my direction, which is fine. I'm from New York City. It's not the first time someone's said delightful words towards me. It's, uh, it's fine. It's like, being, it's like a welcoming home thing. But then they began to direct some very not choice words towards Rachel. And that's where I was like, hold up though. <laughs> you can take the boy out of Brooklyn, but you can't take the Brooklyn out of the boy, you know? And, but I, you know, the Holy Spirit gave me self-control. And, you know, I was just like, you know what? I'm wearing my Lululemon jacket today. They're probably just jealous. They're probably just jealous of this jacket. They can't fit in it. It's fine. And so we, we go on. I'm still pretty livid about it. Rachel doesn't even, didn't even know any of it happened, which shows that she's not from New York. Like, there's, a, there's an extra sense that New Yorkers have where we just hear things from very far. And so we, we go through the rest of our day. It's pretty nice. We go get coffee. I show her some things. We're, and then we're walking towards Central Park. And I remember we are uh, making a, a, a just, we're just walking up to Central Park and there's this uh, lady who's on her phone uh, you know, as New Yorkers do, and she's, she's on a mission, and so she's walking, she's walking, she's texting, and she's right in my path, and I, well, I should say I'm probably in her path, as she would think, and she is going to m- crash into me if I don't move, or we're gonna crash into each other. So I do what I thought was respectful. I just move on, you know, move Rachel over, move on, and then as she passes on by, she continues to also share some very delightful words in my direction, which I was super confused about. And I looked at Rachel, I was like, is she talking to me or whoever she's texting is gonna have a field day. And so I turn around to make eye contact. I'm like, I'm confused. Were you talking to me? And so when I turn around, she has already turned around, gives me the finger, says some more choice words and walks away. And now I'm like, is it the Lululemon jacket? Like, I don't... I don't, think it's, I don't think this is it anymore. And Rachel and I are kind of laughing about it because we're like, how is it that I've been here for less than, than 12 hours and yet I've somehow become the enemy of New York City? Like, this is my hometown. Like, it's not like I hate being a New Yorker. And, and, and as I was walking, I just felt, as I was meditating on it, I just felt God saying, this is spiritual warfare. This is what happens when you are a light in a dark place. And you might be skeptical and be like, really? So every time someone curses at you, that's the devil? <laughs> Sometimes, not all the time. But what I would like to submit to you tonight is that all too often, no, I would like to submit to you tonight that there is a spiritual battle going on that, we, not, that many of us either are not aware of or at very worst, not able to engage in it correctly. Okay? And so when we go into a battle unprepared, what do you think happens? Well, you get slaughtered. Well, the good thing is that in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation and death. And if you do get slaughtered, you go to heaven. But, but there's this time on earth that we experience in the here and the now where we engage in this thing called spiritual warfare, which means there needs to be a preparation. But the problem is, is that we are not prepared for the battle.
And so Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter six, right where we were, where he talks about putting on the armor of God, talks about who the enemy is. And, and so, so we're gonna engage in this text for the rest of our evening, for however I, long I have you, which really is up to me at this point. So, There is a great deal, an issue with not knowing how to engage in spiritual warfare because your souls and the souls around you are at stake. I hope that weighs a little heavily on you tonight because it's been messing me up. So Paul writes this letter, ironically, in, in jail. And uh, he's, in one of the chapters, it says that he's uh, handcuffed to this Roman guard, which is, you think about how awkward it is to write a letter? You know, like this man's just here and you're just, you're writing here. And he implores the church at Ephesus to remember that Christ is king and that Christ has brought those who are spiritually dead from death to life. And then he continues on to say, in light of that truth, in light of the fact that Christ is king over everything, your whole life should be different. The church should look different. Your relationships should look different. The way you interact with people should look different. The words that you have, the thoughts that you have, the emotions that you have, everything that you are and do is supposed to be different because Christ did not just bring you from death to life to leave you as you were. He brought you to death to life to transform you to be more like Jesus. So if that is true, everything should be different about you. And so he gets to the end of Ephesians and he's talking about relationships, marriages, uh, bond servants and masters. And then he gets to this place here in Ephesians 6, 10, where he begins to talk about this thing called spiritual warfare. And it's something that we do need to get accustomed to knowing and hearing because it is part of being a Christian. It happened to Jesus Right? Like when Jesus was filled with the Spirit and he went to the wilderness, who met him? The devil. And when the apostles went and preached the gospel through all the different cities, they were met with demonic forces and human oppression. Like, like I need you to know the world is not agreeable to the gospel. Being friends with God, being a child of God means that you are an enemy of, to the world. Here's something that I came into realization as I was studying for the text. The mo and not even just realization, but kind of just the dawning of the seriousness of it. You see, we talk about salvation in this way where we come from death to life and then suddenly our lives are changed. And that's true, but we highlight the beauties of it. Here's the hardest part about coming to life in Jesus. You come to life in Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. He transforms you, makes you born again. And the moment you are born again, regenerated into life with Jesus, you are now thrust into a spiritual battle for the rest of your life. It is one that is long and one that is hard and one that is arduous, but yet it is what you have been thrusted into. And you might think, but I didn't ask for that. I'm sorry. 
But even if you try to play the spiritual neutral card, there is no neutrality in this spiritual life because even if you deny what Christ has already done, John 10.10 says that the devil comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And that means he's coming for you to steal, kill, and destroy. Do you think you're prepared to stop that? Are you confident that you could stop that? Show of hands, like literally, anybody here feel confident that they can stop the power and the, the schemes and plans of the enemy? I'm glad you do, bro. But the fact that's one out of many causes a question. And so the Lord wants to prepare us for battle. Here's what we have to first see. This is what Paul, Paul says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord, verse 10, in the strength of his might to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So right off the bat, Paul makes it very clear who our enemy is. Because you would think, right, if Paul is in Roman imprisonment, literally writing this letter, being handcuffed to a Roman guard, who would you assume is his number one enemy? The guard or the Romans, right? But instead of saying, take up armor and fight the Romans, instead of taking up arms and take your swords and your helmets and all your battle gear and go kill the Roman empire, who does he say is our enemy? It's all these hosts of evilness, the devil, the cosmic powers, the spiritual forces of evil, the rulers, the principalities. You see, if you were to rip through this seeing realm that we have here with our natural eyes and were to look behind the veil, you would see a very, very not nice picture. You would see a battle waging between angels and demons as God sends his army of his hosts, army of angels to protect and care for us. But nonetheless, it is one that is actively happening. You may not see it with your natural eyes, but it is one that is happening. And the reason why it's important for us to remember this truth is because as the church, we have made enemies of the wrong people. Have we not? And some of you might chide at that. And say, no, it's okay that I hate liberals. <laughs> like they're for abortion. They're the worst in the planet. And suddenly we now articulate that they are evil. They are the problem. Here's the truth of it. And I'm not talking here about abortion or pro-life. None of those matter right now in this moment. We can talk about that another time. I bring that up because we have demonized image bearers. We've said that there are people that are evil that we do not want salvation and supplication for. You don't pray for demons, do you? No, but they're not demons. There are people who require to hear the gospel preached faithfully to experience the power and the presence of God so that they would turn, repent, and proclaim that Jesus Christ is king and therefore be filled with the spirit and then to join the battle for salvation. And I'd love to have that conversation with you after, after this. 
promise, but I'm just gonna continue moving. I don't wanna ignore it, but I wanna give it the time it deserves. And so as we engage with the culture and the world around us, what Paul is saying is not that, that we would then demonize and be angry and, and cast judgment of condemnation on humanity, but that we would come and fight the thing that actually matters to fight, which is not them, but the devil, the cosmic powers, the spiritual forces of evil. Okay? Because what I want to be most true about this community is that we are not known for our political party affiliation. That we're not most known for where we stand on certain politics or, or constitutional rights. I, I, I don't want that to be the most premise, the biggest premise of what we're marked by, but instead that we would be known as those who fight the devil and that we've come to help set the captives free because that is what Christ has called us to. So just know that there is a battle looming over you right now. It's not just them out there. It's in here. It's the people in this room that sit next to you. You have no idea what some of the thoughts are in some people's minds here. And I don't mean that in like a, they're kind of crazy. No, I mean like the things they actually battle. The lies of the enemy that seek them to consume them, to destroy and batter them. It is not human institutions. That's the issue. Can, can Satan use human institutions? Yes. But yet Paul does not say fight the institution. He says fight against the cosmic powers, spiritual forces of evil, the authorities, and the rulers. And so how then do we engage in this battle, right? Right, so now we know there's this battle going on. And, and the thing is, he's expecting you to do it because he says this, Paul says uh, in verse uh, 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And that word for wrestle means uh, close hand-to-hand -hand combat. It means it's gonna get messy. Like, have you ever seen a wrestling match? Ain't pretty, right? It's like two big people just, right? Just gra they're just grappling. And this is what he's implying here, that things will get messy as you engage with the enemy. The intention is that you are engaging in battle, but how then do we engage in battle? And so quickly we wanna ask, how do I fight? That's not the question yet. How do I prepare first for the battle is the question we must ask first. And so he says this in the very first verse, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now you think you hear this and in the English, it would make sense, right? Finally, be strong. Have you ever gone to the gym and just be strong? <laughs> like for real, like, like I don't go put 535 pounds on the squat bar and go, Caesar, be strong. And then just put it on my back and then go, be strong. Like that, that's a no rep, by the way. That wasn't a full rep. Can't even do air squats. 
That's not what that word is saying. See, what the Greek is saying here is more of a passive verb. And I did a lot of study on this because I didn't know all these different things. But a passive verb is an action that you are the recipient of. And so even though it sounds like Paul is telling them, be strong, what he's telling them is you are continuously enabled to be strong. And so to be strong to do what? To battle? No, it says, be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. So he's calling us to, he's telling that we are enabled by the power of the spirit to place our trust in the power and the might of God. And it is worth putting your faith in. This is, and all of Ephesians, I encourage you to read through Ephesians because you see the power of God at work demonstrated, not just on bringing dead people to life, but on renewing the world on a cosmic level. I'm gonna read some verses for you about this power. It says in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, 19 through 22, it says, all things are under the feet of Jesus. All rule, authority, power, and dominion belongs to Jesus. He then says this in Ephesians chapter 2 about us in relation to this. It says, we have been made alive in Christ and we are seated with Christ to the heavenly places. Now, hear this. And I hope it's important for, and I hope it shifts some things here because some of us have come into this place feeling like they are at the whim of the devil. And some of us have allowed the devil to do way more in our lives than he was ever able and willing to do. Some of us have actually kind of, in some ways, dusted out a doormat, opened the door and said, would you come in? If we know that Jesus is set above all the heavenly dominions, has all power, authority, honor, and glory. And then it says in the next chapter that we have been raised with Jesus and placed on the heavenly places with him. What do you think that means? It means that you are now able as children of God to have spiritual power and authority over the evil forces on this world. And that's a powerful thing because we are so fearful sometimes of the schemes of the enemy or we feel defenseless to defend ourselves before the enemy. And Jesus says, no, you're seated with me. And you might think, oh, that's a weird kind of theology. Like, but, but we come to Jesus and so like, it, it, it's not this. And that's true. It's not this. It's this. And where we sit under the rule and authority of Jesus in completion. And if God did not want us to wield his power, his authority, then why does he give us his armor? Have you thought about that? What armor do you get? Do you get the 99 cents Halloween costume party armor? No. You can pretend to be a little knight with that thing on. But no one... No one goes, oh, that's, a, that's someone I should be worried about. That's like, aren't you a little too old to be wearing costumes? No. It says you are to put on the armor of God. 
And we won't spend too much time tonight on individually these pieces of armor, although they are worth studying. So please engage with that in your own time of study. But I I want us to walk through here what the whole armor of God is. It says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the blessed, sorry, the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The reason why Christ through Paul says to put on the armor of God is because it is the only thing that can protect you from the powers of evil. It's the only thing. And now some of us in this room have truly been operating on our own strengths, that we've been operating in our own armor. We've tried to construct this, all, this different kind of armor that, that maybe works when it's just you and I. And we talk about this, like this psychological armor, this, uh, this status armor, this thing that allows me to separate you from me. But the spiritual transcends that. It does not protect you from the schemes of the enemy because the enemy doesn't operate typically in just trying to hurt your body. He does the work on the inside, right? Do you know how the enemy attacks you? See, the Greek word for devil here is slanderer. And the Greek is called diabolos. Do you know what a slanderer does? All he does is lie. All he does is slander. And so all the devil, and here's the crazy thing. That is all the devil can do. The devil doesn't have as much power and authority as we give him credit to. He just does these things that over time, if we let it, starts to break chinks in the armor little by little and little. And so he tells you, you're not worth it. No one loves you. You should go kill yourself. You should end it. He says things like, you'll never be free. God doesn't really enjoy you. And he begins to, and you start hearing this more and more until eventually all you hear is just that. All you hear is lie after lie, so much to the point where it becomes truth to you. And you just walk away defeated. Walk around, your head down, your body composure. I mean, your body betrays what you truly believe on the inside and you just walk around feeling like, why am I even here? Whoa. Man, just, it should just finish now. And I make no light of that situation because I know there are people here who really are struggling with mental health in those spaces. And I, w- I want you to hear me clearly on this. I'm not saying it's a prayed away kind of thing. No, no, no. But no matter how deep and painful it feels on the inside, there is a Christ, a Savior, a God who is willing to step into it with you, protect you, cover you, love you, restore you, redeem you. And as he does that work, he asks, put on the armor of God so you would withstand the scheme of the devil. And this is not a question. Here it says, you, you can read it. It says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able, and you get the impression, maybe, 
Like, I want a definite. No, no, no. In the Greek, it's, it's a done deal. What it really should be stated as, in the most literal sense, therefore take up the whole armor of God, because if you do, you will stand firm. You will. It's not a question. It's a done deal. Because whose armor is it? It's God's. Not one you created, but the one that has been placed on top of you in faith. And notice that none of these pieces of armor, except for the last piece, but there's six. The belt, breastplate, helmet, boots, shield, and then the sword. Five of the six do what? They protect you. Well, that's a really, could you imagine like going, like I can think of like Braveheart. You think in a moment, let's go to battle. Don't attack anybody, just defend. That feels weird, right? Here's why this is important to note. The battle is not yours. In fact, the battle has already been won. Colossians 2.15 says that on the cross, our debt of sin have been paid and that Christ has disarmed. And the way the Greek puts it, when he says put to shame, it's like, it's like panting the devil and going, ha ha. See, literally, he disarms and belittles the devil to say, Satan has no authority here anymore. And so because you are in Christ, the battle is not yours. It is his. He's won. And because you're in him, you've won. We've won. That should bring joy to us. Because it means that the darts, here's what it says when when Satan attacks. He says, with flaming darts of the evil one, he is aiming to take you down. And the thing that terrifies him is not that you would go on the offense. What terrifies him is if you actually knew that he was powerless. When you walk in the street at night, right, let's think about this. And I'm from New York, so I'm going to walk you through a little bit of New York City. From my house, when I was living there, come out, make a right, six blocks down. And now six blocks down is I had to because the train is down the street, so an avenue. Now, between 5th Ave and 4th Avenue, uh, no lights. <laughs> so that's terrifying. Um, not because I'm, like, I'm unwilling to fight, but I'm also 5'5". Five five. So, you know, there's... Give and take, give and take. All right, y'all be strong. Um, (laughs) If you knew that no matter what came at you between fifth Avenue and fourth Avenue, that nothing would consume you, take you, hurt you and win over you. How would you walk through that street? Man, you'd walk like nothing could stop you. That's nothing more terrifying to Satan than a people that knows that he's lost. 
In fact, when you do remember that, you remind him that he's lost. If you you fast forward to the book of Revelation, he gets cast into the pits of hell and is destroyed. He has lost and has been disarmed. Why do we let him have his way with us? Why do we believe his lies? Why do we think that his version of who we are is what God says about us? Why do we do that? I'd submit to you is because we don't know how to put on the armor of God. You put on the armor of God, not there's nothing literal, like physical about this. How do you put on the, righteous, the, the breastplate of righteousness? How do you put boots of gospel peace? That's not a brand. You don't. It's something that's placed on top of you through abiding in Jesus. Because it's not just that you have to dispel the enemy's lies, but there has to be something that replaces those lies. Right? So if the lie is you are worthless, then you have to remember that God says he sings over his creation, over his people. If it says that no one loves you, well, God's word says he loved you so much that he would send his son to die on your behalf. If the lie is that you'll never amount to anything, God already says, man, I've placed you on the heavenly places. If you think you'll never have any status, Jesus says you are co-heirs with him. And if king over everything, that means you're co-heirs with that. No higher status than that. But until you abide with him in his word, in praying, in fasting, in knowing the father, you will always be at the whim of the lies of the devil. Here's the only part that I still cannot grapple my head around because I believe it yet have not accepted it. I'll be honest with you. He finishes this portion by saying, pray. Have you ever thought about prayer as something powerful? And not just in theory. Like we, we, we go, you're sad, pray. You're lonely, pray. Single, pray. Married, pray more. Like, like, like we just throw prayer like it's a thing. You know, like something that we do here sometimes and something we've had to wrestle through is not making prayer a transition. Oh, it's just a thing that we do. Okay, we sing a worship song, let's pray. He's done with the sermon, let's pray. Let's finish, let's pray. Like it's a, a stamp of approval from God. No, no, no. What if I told you that the only attack that God has equipped humanity to do is to pray. Do you think it would change anything for you? Here's the irony of it. This is what it says right before he says to pray in the spirit. It says, take the helmet, verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is, in the, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit. Do you see between the word of God and praying, there's a comma? It's not a period. Why? Because it's not separate. Prayer is not separate 
from the sword. It's not separate from just the word of God. It's not like we're to pray something separate from the word of God. No, 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 no. It says to pray in the spirit, which means that you are to be led in prayer by the spirit to pray the things that the father desires you to pray for. Do you know what the father desires? If you don't know, I'll tell you. It's this, this whole thing. This whole thing is God's word for you. From Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, it, it is what God desires you to know and pray. This is the Father's will for you. This is what he wants you to pray. And here's the crazy thing that happens. One that I still can't grapple with. We use prayer in the sense that we want things to change God changes the things that he wants to change. So if we pray for the things that he wants, what do you think will happen? Things will change. If you pray in the spirit, pray in accordance to the father's will, it unleashes the power of heaven over the circumstance. Do you want to know what's going to change Orlando? Do you want to know what's going to change your life? Do you want to know what's going to transform everything around you? Do you want to know what it is? It is prayer that is in accordance to the Father's will. But again, you only know that if you abide with him. This is about spiritual warfare, but it's about who has your heart ultimately. In Revelation chapter two, verses one through 10, it talks about the church of Ephesus. And now this is a church that was known for good things. I'll read it over, over real quickly. It says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, this is Jesus speaking to the church of Ephesus. The words of him who stands, who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So just to give context, all these churches were meant to be lampstands, places of declarative truth to the world. That's what a lampstand does. I know your works, your toil. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. This sounds like pretty good things. Like, sounds like a healthy church. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing for my name's sake and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, says Jesus to the church of Ephesus, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember therefore from where you have fallen, Repent and do the works you did, not, you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Do you know where the church of Ephesus is today? It's a pile of rocks. It's a pile of rocks. It means they did not turn. It means that you could do everything right and still have your heart be distant from God. Who has your heart? And you have to examine that and ask the spirit of God to reveal to you who has your heart. Because if you abide in the love of the father for you, you are then able to fully wield 
the power and authority spiritually that God has given over to you. And when you walk in spiritual power and authority, you are able to accomplish the plans that God has for you. It says in Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, that you have been created as his workmanship for a work before you were even created. He had a plan for you that he wants you. And this workmanship, this duty, this purpose is to be a lampstand to a dark in broken world, but we will never be able to be that as a community if we do not first abide in the love of God for us. And then he finishes with prayer to change things, pray fervently (laughs) and pray for all the saints. And so we're gonna prepare ourselves to do that in, in just a moment. But I I want to just simply, I just want to simply finish with this. It's actually not even, I want to read this over us. It's Psalm 46, 146. It's a song of praise. And I hope it compels your heart to move into what we're about to do together. I'll read it for us, the whole thing. It's only 10 verses. The psalmist says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. The psalmist says, put not your trust in princes in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. He says, do not place your faith in humans. That is not what being strong is. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, his God, who made heaven and earth. This is who you place your faith in. This is the Lord in his might. He is the God who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. This is the God we serve. This is the one that is worthy of our adoration and affection. It says, the Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners, beholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to, to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all the generations, praise the Lord. This is the one who goes to battle for us. Be not afraid. Be strong in the Lord. Take on his armor. Abide deeply with Christ. Pray fervently. And we will see, promise you, we will see the kingdom of God manifest presently in this space and everywhere we go. That is what the world needs. Christians who will go to the battlefield alongside with Christ and dispel the lies and the works of the enemy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Like, really thank you. Like, as we read this text, I don't know how to not praise you. You're worthy of that praise. You're worthy of that adoration. You're worthy of that affection. God, I pray that you would move and stir in these hearts tonight. 
Because there are people here who need to know that the Lord has deposited immeasurable love and power to them. If they are in Christ, and if they are not in Christ today, God, I pray that you would stir in their hearts, that they would come repent and proclaim faith in you, Jesus, so that you would deposit immeasurable power and glory. Sorry, immeasurable power and love into them because all glory is yours. And then the rest of us here, Lord, I'd ask that if we're in a place where we feel secure and strong in the Lord, that we would not be lazy, but that we would contend for this world, that we would contend for these souls, that we would contend for hearts, whether here in this community or outside in the world, we ask that you would help us contend firmly, but let us be reminded whether we are far or whether we are close, it is only your love that transforms So may we always come back to you, Father, so we are reminded of who you are, who we are in you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Before we sing, um, actually, we're going to spend time praying because we do believe prayer changes things. in order to not put the cart before the horse or the horse before the cart. Either one, whichever one I meant, you get it. There are many in this room who have no idea that God has called them to have spiritual power and authority. And because of that, you are currently experiencing demonic oppression and power over your life. And so I would ask that you would come and, we'll, and I'll explain that there's gonna see these little stations here with carpet and a table. And these kind of are makeshift altars, but places where we come and go to battle before the Lord as he has gone before us. And so these here, if you are somebody who is currently experiencing spiritual attacks and demonic oppression, if you are, and, and what I mean by that, you might be like, well, hold on, I don't know, I'm not seeing things. Hold on. If you are struggling with a sin pattern or intrusive evil thoughts and you feel like there is no gaining victory, there is no movement forward, it only feels like you succumb more and more and you're just falling more and more behind. Just know it doesn't have to be that way. Instead, Christ calls you to abide, but he does that through prayer. So come, these sections here. We'll have men and women here present. And we want to pray over you. It's okay to be prayed for. You need prayer. You need it from the saints. It says it, pray for all the saints. It's okay that we do that for you. It does not mean that you're weak. It means you're a child of God. So let yourself fall into the arms of your father. Let yourself be cared and loved for by your brothers and sisters here so you can be set free. That's what you came here for tonight. And then the section in the back, there are gonna be two other altars, literally right this direction. And over there, we're gonna ask, if you're somebody who feels like they have uh, not experiencing sin patterns and all these things and oppression and, and demonic powers over your life, amen, I'm so glad to hear that but then go and pray for the saints out there or go pray for those who have not yet heard the gospel. 
pray for the lost. You want to unleash the power of heaven in Orlando? Trust me, God wants to find the lost. He wants the lost to come home. He will answer that prayer. So go back there and go pray for renewal in the city of Orlando. And then also pray for the protection of this community and this church. You may not know this, but there are many, many demonic powers at work today, hoping and seeking to, that this place would just be a pile of rocks like the church of Ephesus. May we stand firm, be strong in the Lord, put the armor of God and contend for this church and for this city. This city is not the devil's. It is the Lord's. May we go have dominion over it. Here in these corners, your life does not belong to the devil. You belong to God. Let him reign supremely in your life. And if neither of these sections happen to be a place that you feel comfortable going, you're not out of the woods. <laughs> We're gonna ask that you would meet in groups of two or three or four and that you would pray for each other. Be vulnerable, be honest, be specific. So you can experience the power and presence of God. May we put into practice all the things that we've learned over the last three months. And they'll come back together and we're going to praise Jesus because he has won. Because we have our hope place in a living hope. That's the bell to go. <laughs> so I release you in this moment to go in faith. Come here and have Christ reign supremely over your life and be set free from sin. And go there and reign supremely and have dominion over the city as Christ has given us authority and power over the evil forces. I'll pray and then I'll release. Lord, I ask again that you give us the boldness and you remind us of your word, that your spirit would remind us of the words of Jesus. All power and authority belongs to you, Jesus. All of it, you sit on the heavenly places having all dominion. And so we, just, we, we ask that that power and authority be released in this place. Set the captives free. Release the shackles. Release the chains. Set your people ablaze and send them to be little fires, little fires that burn a light in a dark world. And would they be used may be used to set fire in other people. God, Orlando is yours. Mosaic Church is yours. Our hearts, our lives are yours. Help us give you reign freely. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for spending some time with us on the Mosaic Young Adults podcast. Our hope for you is that Jesus will use the message you just received and direct your heart completely towards Him. If you want to hear more messages like this one, please feel free to check out past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss out on any 